M S W Media. And now it's time for Drinking with Yoda. Hey Yoda, will you pass me that screwball peanut butter flavored whiskey? I'd like to try it. No, try not. Do. Oh, do not. There is no try. Okay, fine. Can you pass me the bottle? I'd like to do a shot of it. You are reckless. I am not reckless. I'm just looking for a little adventure. A little excitement. <laughs> adventure. <laughs> excitement. <laughs> Did I crave not these things? Jedi? What are you talking about, man? I'm just a guy who hosts a booze podcast. Now come on, pass me that bottle. The boy has no patience. You will learn patience. Who the hell are you talking to? Much anger in him. Like his father. Look, Yoda, this is getting way too heavy. All I'm asking for is that you pass me that bottle of screwball peanut butter flavored whiskey so I can pour some in a glass and try some. Uh, excuse me, I mean do some. Will he finish what he begins? Of course I'll finish it. I mean, yeah, peanut butter whiskey sounds pretty awful, but hell, I'll try anything once. I'm not afraid. You will be. You will be. We'll pour yourself a glass. Sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, welcome. To the program. What we're drinking. What am I drinking? I'll tell you what I'm drinking right now. I got a little glass in my hand, a little ice on here. I'm drinking a little Suntory. That's right, Suntory whiskey, Japanese whiskey. For relaxing times, make it Suntory time. Mm. Coming up in just a few minutes, I'm going to be chatting with a man named Sed Moses. Sed is, if not the most influential guy on the Los Angeles bar scene. He's certainly one of them. He's got a ton of bars out here. He really was helped kickstart the craft cocktail resurgence that happened beginning of this century. He's also uh, got a famous dad. His dad, Ed Moses, was part of a group of artists out here in California called the Cool School. Ed and Larry Bell and <clears throat> Billy Al Bengston and uh, Ed Russia, there was a lot of big artists, and, and said Moses' father, Ed, was part of that. We're going to be talking about that and the bar scene, building the Los Angeles bar scene, what happened when COVID hit, what's next, a lot of chatter coming up in just a few minutes. Also, a reminder to follow me at The Imbiber on Instagram and Twitter at WWD underscore podcast on Instagram. I uh, did the Adam Carolla show. I'm on there every month. And I had my latest one was uh, Monday, January 24th. We drank on that episode, Michter's US1 Whiskey Siempre Tequila, the Reposado and Don Q Rum. 
one of Los, speaking of big people in Los Angeles, one of Los Angeles' biggest and most uh, best bartenders, Paul Sanguinetti, joined me in studio with Corolla, whipped up a couple of cocktails. So please go check out the Adam Corolla Show, the Monday, January 24th episode. I am excited. Right before I got on here to record, I, I purchased tickets to see the great G Love. Of G Love and Special Sauce, he's touring, not with the sauce. I don't know what happened to the Special Sauce. They're out now. It's just the juice. It's G Love and the juice. And G, his name is Garrett. He's an, actually an old friend of mine. He's touring, and I love him. And he's, he's love to see him. He's playing the Troubadour, the iconic Troubadour venue here in West Hollywood on March 26th. I just got tickets. If you want to see him, he's touring all over the country. Go to philadelphonic.com and there's plenty of info on the G Love and the Juice tour. Now, getting those tickets got me to thinking about the good old days. I had a prior to this show, I used to co-host a show called Drinky Fun Time. Everybody loved Drinky Fun Time. I co-hosted it with a, a good friend of mine named Emma Patterson. And a few years ago, we were in Louisville, Kentucky, broadcasting, recording live from Louisville at a festival called Bourbon and Beyond. And we actually caught up with Garrett, G-Love, right after his set. And I just wanted to play a little bit of that interview because it was fun and I was definitely tipsy. Uh, Way more tipsy than I am now. I was drinking uh, bourbon, not Suntory. But uh, here, check this little bit out. Yo. You know what that song means? You know what we have on the show right now? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Philly's own Garrett Dutton, a.k.a. Gila. Yeah. <laughs> Where's your sauce? Yeah. Oh, and we're getting. Oh, here it. comes some sauce some right now. Oh, <laughs> some uh, what do we got here? A little some Jim Beam delivering drinks to oh, us. I love that. Uh, yes. Good, uh, we're we're living a high life now. Look at Thank this. Throw that over there. One more cheers. You know the, One more the cheers. Dogs like to cheers. Them cheers. Up. Cheers. Producer Bo. Cheers, Emma. Cheers, Emma. Cheers. Cheers. So. Can I call you Garrett? Because I yeah. know you as Garrett. Okay, I just want to so, say, you know, so your uncle, that's right, Dennis. My uncle Dennis. Uncle Dennis worked with my father, Gary. Yeah. Right? So. Uh, way back in the day. Way back in the day. You're going to dig up some dirt. Oh, well, I don't know. Were, were you, in, were you, was it your cousins who had Dennis the uh, my, Men Dennis at Work cover band? De- <laughs> <laughs> I might have been. No, it wasn't even a cover band. It was a Men at Work <laughs> air guitar Lip syncing band. So, by the uh, way, Dennis and Mike, get ready for your embarrassment right now. Here it is. So yeah, so yeah. I remember we went out to the Poconos to visit with uh, Uncle Dennis and the family, and um, I was probably you know eight, and uh, Dennis and Mike were probably ten or twelve, and uh, go down the basement. It was the coolest thing I ever saw. These older kids with the light show, basically <laughs> lip syncing and not you know air guitaring along. The, they had the whole Men at Work show. <laughs> oh my! So then, after that, what happened was years later, I I, I was a big G Love fan, and I was going somewhere, and my cousin says, "Oh yeah, we know Garrett." I'm like, "You know Garrett? You know him?" They're like, "Yeah." So we ended up hooking up this thing, and Garrett and I had a uh, probably damn dude that was probably 15 years ago, 12, really? 13 years Come ago, on, and the rest. long time ago in New York City, a thousand. 
2,000 drinks ago. We had a very big <laughs> night out in New York City. So today, G Love and Special Sauce uh, tore the house down, right, Emma? I have had so many of your tracks, but I've never seen you in person. I'm, I'm from England. And uh, I just want to first of all say thank you because I can now say my second word in American, but it's very distinctly on the East Coast. I say sauce. Sauce. <laughs> I can't say anything else. My first is water. That's it. Water. Water. It. Water. 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 Sauce. Water. 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 I'm still getting it wrong? <laughs> water. Like wood. Good it's God. A, it's a tri-state area thing. That's a water. But when, by the way, when she said sauce, was sauce. we did this a while ago on the show, and she was trying to affect a Boston accent. So Garrett lives in Boston now. Yeah. Okay. But sauce is not Boston. Oh. How would you say sauce in Boston? Sauce. 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 I don't know. I, I don't you know. My, my, my accents are terrible. I always sound like a Jamaican leprechaun, any type of accent I tried to. <laughs> you actually said, when you sang today, you said sauce. Sauce. And I, sauce. I was thinking. My baby's oh. got sauce. Yeah. <laughs> Carry on. Come on. Go. She got sauce. Oh. Your baby ain't sweet like mine. She got sauce. <laughs> yeah, that's how I do it. I mean, it's such a privilege to have you on your show because... I'm sorry. I think you rap, right? You rap yeah. really well. I'm yeah, sorry. well, the, the, you I know, was like, like, look at him go. <laughs> so, He's brilliant. So he, you know, where he got his, he got to start from Schoolie D. Schoolie C. Schoolie D in Philadelphia, right? <laughs> Don't tell me that wasn't a major inspiration for you. Oh yeah, man. Like so, so growing up, growing up in Philly, so I, I was uh, in the '80s. You know, hip hop started, and uh, you know, I was a young teenager, and um, this was like the greatest, coolest type of music ever, and it was uh, maybe it was like akin if you were in like the growing up, growing up in the fifties, and, and you know Elvis came out or whatever. But it was like this type of ground shaking music, and there was this program on Power ninety nine FM, which was an R and B station. And Friday night they had a program called Lady B's Street Beat. And uh, we would, you know, record it on a cassette tape. And, you know, that's the first time you ever heard, like, Public Enemy, Terminator X, and Schoolie D, and Steady B. And, and the sound was scary. Like, I remember hearing Terminator X and that, that the sample. I mean, it scared the shit out of you when you're, a, you know, a 13-year-old kid. You're like, I mean, and the Beastie Boys, too. Uh, I played in this basketball league in Philadelphia. I was one of... You know, three or four white kids in the league. Yeah. And my buddy comes over to me and said, hey, hey, Garrett, put these headphones on. He put the headphones on. And um, it was the Beastie Boys. Hold it now. Hold it now. Hit it. And uh, and I was like, oh, that's cool. He goes, yeah, they're, they're white just like you. And I was like, no, they're not. They're not white. White well, you- people can't do that. And now I'm doing it. And know? that was when that. Oh, the memories. I miss concerts hopefully it's all coming back soon really it needs to come back enough COVID enough of you be gone I've had it I mean it's a little rough right now because it's still cold it's cold it's winter I know this is hard for you but winter is coming we know what's coming with it we can't face it alone yes yes Jon Snow 
Yes, I know. So yeah, people are gathered, and so you got to be careful now. But I'm telling you, I'm, the spring is coming, and I feel it. I just feel like things are going to get better. I'm taking this show on the road in the spring. Got some plans. We're going to hopefully be doing a show in New York. We're going to be we're gonna live recording in New York. We're going to be doing one out here in California, maybe in Denver, Colorado. I got a lot of plans, people. A lot of plans, and I want you on board. Also, that reminds me, reach out to me with any questions, comments. I'd love to address them on the show. If you want me to actually answer a voice question, take out your phone, record a voice memo, and then email it to info at whatwerdrinking.com. That's info at whatwerdrinking.com. Email that uh, that video fi- audio file with your question or comment, and I promise you, as long as it's not offensive, I'll play it on the show because I want to hear from you. I really do. All right. Said Moses. Everybody ready to listen to some said Moses? I am. As anyone who pays even the slightest bit of attention to me knows, Fresh Victor is my favorite mixer brand in the world. You know what? Screw it. It's my favorite in all the universe. They make 100% fresh, juice-based, cold-pressed, preservative-free, refrigerator-worthy cocktail mixers. All their ingredients are real, they're all recognizable, easy to pronounce. Lime, mint, ginger. See what I mean? Easy. Fresh Victor mixers are kosher, non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and light on calories. Although they don't taste like it. Their seven award-winning flavors mix deliciously with any spirit, wine, or sparkling water. Not only does Fresh Victor live and breathe sustainable practices, but they champion them. All their ingredients are fair trade, the packaging is recyclable, and the juicing plant is 100% solar. You get the drift. Right now, Fresh Victor is offering a pretty juicy deal to my listeners. Simply go to FreshVictor.com, fill up your shopping cart, and at checkout, enter promo code WWD20. Get 20% off your order. Now's the time to treat yourself to the very best mixers on the market. And that's Fresh Victor. What are we drinking? Oh, hell yeah. Batiste Rum. You know what I'm talking about? I friggin' love this brand. Batiste Rum is the first sustainable American craft rum. What's that mean? Well, it means that Batiste's proprietary production process from ground to bottle has been rigorously reviewed and validated as being carbon negative. It's the only known beverage alcohol in the world to have a climate-positive natural production process without the purchase of carbon offsets. Okay, you're probably still like, yeah, but what's that mean? (laughs) It means you can feel good about drinking it, my friends. Batiste rum is made from 100% pure fresh cane juice, not molasses or sugar crystals. Most importantly, it's an incredibly damn delicious rum to be enjoyed neat or in cocktails. And Batiste rum has not one but two kick-ass offers for my listeners. That's you. Go to BatisteRum.com. That's B-A-T-I-S-T-E-R-H-U-M.com. Fill up your cart and enter code WWD15 at checkout to get 15% off all orders. But if you want their delicious reserve rum, you can enter code reserve get 20% off. Batiste Rum is the absolute shiz. Proof that great taste with true sustainability is not a goal for tomorrow, but a reality today. Joining me now is the founder, chief vision officer of Pouring With Heart. That's a hospitality company that operates bars, restaurants, and beer halls across the country. 
He's got a new book out called, appropriately, Pouring with Heart. The essential magic behind the bartenders we love. Very pleased to welcome to the show my old pal, Sed Moses. Sed, how are you? I'm doing great. It's great to see you, Dan, even even on uh, on Zoom here. It's great to see you. It's funny, man. I was, yeah, I wish it was in person as well. I, I was going through some old photos recently looking, f- I, don't, I had to find something, but, and I came across these old pictures from the Playboy Mansion. We were there, one of the pajama parties. You remember this? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> it's me, you, a bunch of the LA, it was actually LA bartending royalty and me. It was you, Eric Alperin, uh, Simon Ford was there, Dave Kaplan, and we were all in our PJs. All in our pajamas, at the yeah. Playboy Mansion. Those were the days. Hef was still alive. Good times. There was no global pandemic. It was a different, a different time. Different time, better time. But we'll we'll get back there to some good times, I'm sure, in the future. So this, I was I've been reading your book. I, I haven't finished it yet, but I'm I'm mostly through it. And first off, congrats on it. You did it with uh, Eric Cardona, so you had some help writing the book as well? Yeah, I spent the first two years writing it myself, and then Eric came in the last year to help me clean it up. He was a professional writer. That's not me. I'm yeah. I'm a bar, bar guy, so uh, he came in and, and helped me clean up the book and get it ready for prime time. So right off the bat in the book, you state unequivocally that, quote, we go to bartenders not to bars. Explain that. What do you mean by that? That was actually Dale DeGroff that brought the forward. Oh, that's that's Dale's thing up front. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's Dale's thing. Well, that's all right. But but Dale, you know, Dale uh, and I, I think all of us, we, we, have, we have bartenders we love, and we sometimes go to a bar just to see that bartender, and, and, and we know they're going to make us a solid drink, and we have a good relationship already built with them, and and we do that rather instead of just going to a specific bar, we go to see a specific bartender. And in our company, we're all about promoting the careers for for bartenders and creating, giving giving them careers and a platform to grow their business with within our bar group. Well, one of the things about for those of you who don't maybe unfamiliar with said, you were certainly one of the driving forces here in revitalizing the bar scene in downtown Los Angeles back in the early 2000s. Can you talk a little bit about how you got started? I I know your first bar, and you talk about this in the book, was the Golden Gopher, which was at the time you went in and ended up, right before you ended up acquiring it, it was literally being run by a gang, correct? Yeah, the the 18th Street Gang, which is at that time was a very dangerous gang, and Apparently it's still around, but, but we, uh, I added this vision for, with all the great buildings downtown of bringing back downtown LA by creating a bar district down there. And at the same time, bringing back a great cocktail culture in Los Angeles that was sadly missing at that time. So in order to do that, my plan was to build 10 bars downtown, basically on Skid Row and create a bar hopping district where you can hop from bar to bar. And, and then that in turn would bring in restaurants and bring people back downtown. So that was the bold vision. The problem was, was it was Skid Row and it was dangerous and there was no built-in customer base down there. So we had to really build it 
ourselves and and build a community um, ourselves around around those bars. And you did that. You did that as well. I, I will say this, and the caveat here is, COVID has changed the calculation on so many things. But let's forget about COVID, even just pre-COVID, right before COVID. While there are so many great bars and restaurants in downtown LA, still for me, the issue that I have with going there, and you you alluded to Skid Row, is it's bad, right? It's bad downtown. And, and that's the result of a lot of issues that obviously you don't have any control over. But I still find myself having a hard time fully enjoying myself, knowing what's happening right outside the door how do you, as someone who's got, you know, some key properties down there, what are your thoughts on, and again, anybody that's out there listening that isn't familiar with Los Angeles, we have a, a serious problem in downtown Los Angeles, not only with homelessness, but crime and everything that comes along with it. And there doesn't seem to be a real plan to deal with it. So what are you, as someone who's very invested in downtown Los Angeles, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, we're, 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 we feel fortunate that despite the tough environment, believe it, believe it or not, it was much worse 20 years ago when we first started downtown. It was, I had the highest murder rate in the United States in downtown and South Central. Um, and it's actually gotten a lot better, but it is still sketchy. And, and, but for some reason, our, our business is really strong down there and we've, we've done well during COVID. Obviously we had to shut down for, for about a year and that was, that was really tough, but we've recovered and our business now is, is back and, and really strong. I just think it sometimes it's young people. They, they don't mind going out in areas that are a little sketchy because they don't want to run into their parents, you know, <laughs> guys like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, when, wanna... While you were saying that, I was thinking that I'm like, I, I'm sounding such an old fuck. Don't I? I'm like, oh, I'm scary. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm an older guy now too. I've been bar hopping for 40 years now. So, so um, yeah, but I, I still love it down there. There's a lot of colorful characters and so many great bars and you're not paying the high drink prices. You might be in other parts of town with higher uh, lease rates and the celebrity factor and all that sort of thing. So, um, and it's great downtown in terms of bar hopping because you can literally within a couple blocks hit three or four great bars, you know? And that, that is a benefit because, you know, this is a commuter town and, and when you can find those little pockets where, you know, I'm in Venice, we sort of have that here, although walking a, a, a few, you know, but it's all close enough down here. Right, and I've I've actually wondered that. Have you ever have you ever thought about coming to the west side of town? Because most of your, all your stuff's east. Yeah, we're 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 keeping our eyes out. We have a we opened a new bar, um, on the west on west West Hollywood actually, just uh just this year, just late last year, we opened a Las Perlas over there, and it's doing well. And and we have a brewery brew pub on La Brea and Eighth Street now. Nothing yet in Venice, though. Can't wait to get get one out there for you. But um, so we're steadily moving further west, and at the same time, we're also building in these other cities where we're finding a lot of opportunity in Denver, Austin. We have five places now. So, so seven. Everybody knows seven grand is kind of the, the sort of the marquee uh, property that's going around the country. I've been to the one in Denver, right? I think I hit you up when I was going there, yeah. and there's one in Austin as well, right? I believe I went to that one. 
Yeah. Yeah, in Austin. There's one in San Diego as well. That's right. And the original is at 7th and Grand in downtown LA. And I, I tell people all the time, there's three places I'd say on my list. If somebody says, what are the best whiskey bars in Los Angeles? You can certainly make a very strong case that 7th Grand is the best whiskey bar. I, I I happen to be fond of another one over here just because it's closer to me, the Daily Pint over here in Santa Monica, oh, yeah. which has an amazing selection. But in terms of atmosphere and coolness factor, if you ever get a chance, go check out Seven Grand. It's it's a really, they just have a collection that is world-class, right? I mean, it's a world-class whiskey collection. It really is. Yeah, we're really proud of it. And uh I love whiskey personally. And then in the back room behind Seven Grand is Bar Jackalope, too, which is also really special, a Japanese-style whiskey bar. I think you've probably been out back there. I've been there as well, yeah. it's uh, In fact, uh, the master, uh, I don't call him Master Blender, but from Centauri, we did, they did an event down there, and it was at Bar Jackalope, and it was, it was great. So by the way, speaking of West Side, there was a property that was coming, and I was like, I wonder – it would have been so perfect if you would have somehow gotten this property because it's a place right by the Venice sign in Venice and it was called Larry's. And the reason I thought of you and obviously, you know, is it was named after Larry Bell, who's a very famous artist from Los Angeles who was good friends, I believe with your father, Ed Moses, who was a central figure in post-war West coast art, right? Your dad was, what it was the cool school they called it, right? Ed Russia, Robert Irwin, Larry Bell, Altoon, Ken Price, right? Talk a little bit yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah, that that whole scene. Yeah, they they were a bunch of renegade artists at the time. Not looking, Billy Al Bingston was another one, and and they were part of this gallery called Ferris Gallery that actually gave Andy Warhol his first solo show with the Campbell Soup Cans. So L.A. art history, and my dad was a central figure and. And a badass character, and he, he passed away a few years ago, but still, still uh, feel like he's riding shotgun with me. He's he was a great, a great uh, inspiration for me. You talk and, about him uh, in the book. You said you know one of the I thought yeah. it was really touching. You talked a lot about your dad's confidence. Uh, he was very comfortable, I guess, being in front of people and whatnot. And and then you compared it to your what you called your lack of confidence, at least early on, but. What I thought was was really nice, man. He said you gained your confidence in a bar. You said the men and the women that you've met in bars gave you access, and this is a quote, to a fuel you did not know you had. Tell us a little bit about what you mean by that. Yeah, well, I, I think there's something to bartenders every day. They're, they're welcoming and opening their hearts to total strangers and, and, uh, you know that's something I, I've always been nervous to do. A lot of a lot of people grow up that way. Don't talk to strangers, right? But bartenders, they they you know after a period of time bartending, I think they build this courage to talk to total strangers and open up to strangers and let those strangers open up to them. And just being around those people gave me the confidence to be to be be able to have conversations with, with strangers and with, with just about anybody. Now I'm, I'm comfortable talking to anybody. And, and I think bartenders and bars in general were the fuel for me to be able to do that. I really look up to bartenders and the misfits that work in our industry. I'll probably include you in that list as well, Dan, <laughs> and uh, a bunch of cast of great cast of characters and, and 
they're my people. And, and so I, I, that, that's what brought, really brought me into the business and, and is why I wrote this book too. So you open Golden Gopher. Let's take it back now. We're talking like 2002. You, you not open it, you take it over and you revitalize it. What comes next? What's the, what was the next property after that? Next one was Broadway Bar. I opened, it was pretty much a bar a year after that. Opened Broadway Bar. Then it was, I took over Casey's Irish Pub. Then opened Seven Grand. Then, um, then it was Coles uh, and The Varnish, Las Perlas, um, Kanye Rum Bar, uh, Tony's Saloon. You know, it was one after another. So we we ended up opening about twelve bars in the first ten years of downtown. Which... And the varnish you mentioned that was uh, a partnership. You had Eric working with Eric Alperin. One of the, and um, yeah, am Sasha I am I right on this? And Sasha, yeah, Sasha Petrosky, the late Sasha Petrosky from Milk and Honey, New York fame. And did did didn't Varnish win bar of the year best bar at Tales of the Cocktail at the Spirit Awards? It did, yeah. I believe yeah, I was on stage when that happened. I, I somehow I have a picture of standing on the stage with Eric. I believe I don't know how. Maybe I just crashed it or something. I don't know. Or maybe I well, imagined it. I could have been drunk and just imagined I was. Well, on stage. well it was a, it was a, it was a proud moment for Los Angeles to bring that award back to to LA for for all of us that love. Yeah, Los- we can. We kind of get the shitty. Okay, this is a good point here, and I and I want to bring this up so so people know. When I mentioned the Spirited Awards, there's a thing called Tales of the Cocktail. It happens every year down in – it did happen every year prior to COVID uh, in New Orleans. And they have this thing called the Spirited Awards, which is kind of like the Oscars of our industry. Don't get me started on me being shut out constantly, but that's all right. That's okay. You know, hey, it's fine. I'm not bitter. Said I'm really not. I am so fucking bitter, just so you know. But, okay, they, they diss me every year. But the part that really bothers me – is when they when they do the list and they do the best bars, it is disproportionately New York City or San Francisco, and I don't get it. I don't. Do you do you agree that there is sort of a I don't know. There's they have something against Los Angeles. There's a little bit of a bias, I'm, I must admit, but um, that's why it made it so sweet to win that to win that award that year and bring it back to Los Angeles and hope and at least open the door again to Los Angeles being, being considered world-class city for bars, which it really is. And, uh, and I love New York for bars. and I love San Francisco for bars. We all, there's great bars across this country and, but we deserve as much recognition as, as most cities. And, and uh, it was nice to win that award that, that year. But yeah, disproportionately, New York seems like it has a lot of awards, but a lot of people I think that are on the panel also live in New York City. So maybe they're bars they're more familiar with. So there you go. What I had a very funny thing happen. It's interesting when the New York people come out here, maybe they're not as familiar with LA and, and a lot of the publicists in our industry are based in New York. They put together an event and I can't, it was a long time ago. But I remember it started at Coles and the Varnish. And then the plan was to, they, they got horse and buggies. Okay. <laughs> Which you don't really want to do that in downtown Los Angeles. You know, it's not Central Park. So we get in these horse and buggies and we're going 
it down the nickel, you know, like in Skid Row. I mean, we are going through the heart of Skid Row. To describe this, folks, it's kind of like, it's this post-apocalyptic hellscape, basically. You know, it's just tents and people strewn all over the street. And here we are, a bunch of journalists in our horse and buggies, like a Disney fucking parade, waving. And I'm like, this is this can't end well. Like, someone might die. Surreal. And then the funniest part of this was, do you remember, what was the bar that our old friend Aiden had that was the Edison, okay? Oh, yeah. Which Edison. was one of the first sort of big, bold craft cocktail resurgence. It was a giant space, and it was in the old Edison building, right? Sure, sure. I helped develop that, too. I was the majority owner of that. Yeah, so we were going. So this, Yeah, that's a great place. So the other part of that was when we were coming from wherever we were coming, it's up on a hill. People that, if you're familiar with the, the Disney concert hall, it's right by that, right? So, and when I say a hill, this is a, like a San Francisco style hill that we got to go up to get to this thing. And we're in a horse, we're in horse and carriage. And I'm like, are these horses going to make it? The horses, like, we're going and we're going really slow. And I'm like, are we going to die? Are we? Are they trying to fucking kill us yeah. right now? They just took us through Skid Row, sitting in a in a in a you know a carriage, and now we're going directly. It was like what's the street in Lombard Street? What's that street in San Francisco? Yeah, it was Lombard, like that, yeah. yeah. And I, ah, uh, the old memories. Um, That's hysterical. And now a word from one of our dream sponsors, Miller Lite Bowling Tournament, circa nineteen eighty two. The scores all even. Glass frame. Who's up? Rodney. Rodney! You gotta be a mistake. Hey, you kidding? It's a piece of cake. <laughs> All we need is one pin, Rodney. Yeah. Oh. Like beer from Miller. Everything you always wanted in a beer and less. We didn't get my turn yet. I'm gonna break this time. You talk about in the book, I found fascinating. You talk about the uh, legends legends because a lot of this is sort of a, a lot of what the book is about is practical advice on on how to be in the bar industry how to excel in the bar industry you, you give up you know from somebody who obviously knows what they're talking about which if you're if you're thinking about being in the bar industry even if you're in the bar industry i highly recommend picking up pouring with heart you talk about the legends who, who are some of the living legends that we have in this industry right now well the man that wrote the forward that Dale. You know, that yes. clearly a New Yorker, Dale DeGroff, we, we, all, we all love him. Um, just, I'm, I'm sure you've had him had him on your show yes. or talked to him. Yeah, he's an amazing guy. And he's a New Yorker that loves L.A. and loves L.A. bars. And he's always supported, supported me in a big way. And he's just one of those amazing, he's one of those old school bartenders. Yeah, he makes great drinks, but he looks every customer in the eye and he makes sure everyone's taken care of in the bar. And he just puts out, projects love out to everyone around him. He's, you know, he's constant rock and tour. And, you know, you got, you got to love Dale DeGroff. He's just truly one of the living legends that we have. I listed a few more. Sasha Petrosky, who was my partner. But yeah, he was a trailblazer in cocktails, but he was the person that that started, you know, started the careers of so many people by being such a giving loving person and and you know started the careers of eric alperin and so many more and bars all over the all over the world but i also listed somebody that maybe people haven't heard of that's our top bartender that exercises what we call pouring with heart to a huge degree that started at 48 years old as a bar back 
and became a legendary bartender with us by the time he was like 53. Never worked in the bar business before that. But he has literally thousands of regulars. Um, Miguel Alonso. And he he has lines of people waiting to get in just to be served by him. They won't be served by anybody else. And where, what bar is he at? He's at Las Perlas. Okay, downtown. which is downtown, right? Very close to Coles and the Varnish, right? Yeah, right across the street. Yeah. And and he is a true legend. And he just projects so much love. He makes everyone feel like they're the only one in the room and visualizes every person. Every stranger is his friend and everybody that comes back is my family and he just makes everyone feel so special. They can't wait to come back to the bar just to see him. Well, you mentioned that pouring with heart. What is that philosophy? If you had to distill it down, what, is, what does it mean? You know, it, it, to me, it's, it, I, I break it down in the book and show scientifically why it builds regulars in a bar. To me, that's the most important thing for the success of a bar. Our bartender is building regulars. It's not just making great drinks. Your drinks should be great. They got to be good. They got to make consistent. They got to be balanced. But that's something that you can, you know, hand-eye coordination, a great recipe, you'll, you'll pick it up. But the ability to connect with people is more important. It's a people business. I think we all, during COVID, we had access to booze, but we missed the bars to go out to and the camaraderie and the magic of being in a great environment and having a, a great time with, with at your favorite local bar. And that magic is tied to what I call pouring with heart, the ability for, for the bartender to project love into the room and make everyone feel welcome and remember everyone's name and what they drink and the operation they had last year and make sure that everyone feels comfortable, safe, appreciated, and seen, seen and heard for who they are. So uh, that, sorry, that's a little bit of a longer description. No, but I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a fantastic way to put it. We've talked about COVID and I I think I've been saying this for a year and a half. I think we're coming out of it. Well, maybe, hopefully we will. What What's going on as someone who's got, I mean, you got a lot of bars. Like what, what is your outlook for what's coming up? Yeah, we, we, we feel really confident at this stage. Um, you know, this wave has been more, you know, ha- none of our staff has been seriously ill. Um, this wave is not life-threatening and and sure it's it's forced a lot of us to go into quarantine that got it i got it over christmas myself but um our staff is still really gung-ho about the future they didn't get too sick they got back to work within within 10 days and there and and business has really not slowed down as much as you'd think it would have due to this as well so it feels like each each progressive uh, version of COVID is getting less less potent, and hopefully we're hitting some sort of herd immunity with the fact that everyone I know has has had this thing now. Yeah. So, uh, except me, not going yeah. wood. <laughs> really? Wow, that's amazing. As far yeah. as I know, I haven't had it. I, I mean, I you know I have. Well, I, I, I think with this version, a lot of us have had it, and we didn't know, know yeah. it because it's it's. Uh, I was basically. Um, asymptomatic myself. I had like a runny nose for two days, no fever, nothing, and just kept testing positive for for uh, about eight nine days. So um, I think a lot of people have had it this version without not even knowing it. But uh, hopefully, this is the last straw that a lot of us have built up the immunities, and and that this thing is getting weaker and 
and we're getting stronger. So from your mouth to God's ears, brother, I hope right. you're right, man. I hope you're right. Now, before I let you go, I want to ask you, man, you with all these places and, and, and we're going to got to have you back on sometime to talk, get more into just the, the nitty gritty of the bars themselves. But some of the, you've had to have seen some crazy shit, right? Especially with having bars in downtown LA. Can anything come to mind of just like, Whoa, that happened. Well, I think I, the story of, Oh, there's tons of crazy stories, of course. And some of them are in my book and some are in Eric Alperin's book, which is also great. I recommend it. Unvarnished. Unvarnished. Yes. He he gives a lot of backroom stories um, that you might not have heard. Um, Eric was one of our first guests, by the way. I went, in fact, it was, it was in the beginning of COVID. That's how long ago it was. He opened a bar out in Pioneer Town. Are you involved in that one or, uh, the red, no, what no, is it? The red, a, uh, the red cat. Is that what it's called? Red dog saloon. Red dog saloon. That's right. So pioneer towns out by Joshua tree and, uh, pioneer town was a town that was created by the old cowboys of television and movie fame. It was like Roy Rogers, right? Gene Autry. They basically built this town as a movie set. And then, uh, yeah, and yeah. there was a bar there, the red dog saloon that was used as part of the set. And then I think it was a real bar and then it went away and Eric and some other guys took this thing over. And I went to the opening out there. It was all outside because this was at the beginning of COVID, the height of COVID, but it was still, it was, a, I can't wait to get back out there and check that place out. Too. Oh, it's a great bar. I, I highly recommend it. Even though it's not one of my places. I, I love Al, Al Brennan. He's a brother to me and, Half the half the team there used to work with me at Seven Grand but back in the day. His partners, his brother Jay, Jean Michel, and Jeff Baker, great, amazing guys, and they're still family to me. And they've done a great job with that place. And I went out for my birthday last year. And we had a blast. Maybe we'll have to get a we we'll have to get outside. a road trip. Me and you, a little road trip out there. Yeah, Let's and do it's it. right next right next to Pappy and Harriet's too. Which another is another world. I mean, Legendary. Legendary bar. Yeah. I mean, Pappy and Harry, it's his little roadhouse. And it has the distinction of being a place where some of the biggest musicians of all time, I think the Stones played there, Paul McCartney played there, Foo Fighters played there. You know, Johnny, I saw Johnny Cash, Bob Dylan. That's I mean, I've seen some and, incredible. And everybody's, you understand, this is on top of a hill in the middle of nowhere, like right on the, right on the outskirts of Joshua tree. And it's an old sort of hunky tonk. It's a big spot, but like, I don't even know. Why did it become such a destination for all of these artists? Exactly. It's so, it's so cool though. It's got such, such, it's just a legendary roadhouse atmosphere. I think people just love playing there. Why not? You sure. know, it, yeah. it, it's, it's great. So wait, um, you, you got it. You still owe me a story. I got a story. Yeah, I got let's a story hear it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's one I share a little bit in the book too. And, and, the story of how the condition of the Golden Gopher when we took that place over. It, it, it was a bar that had been around since 1905, apparently Teddy Roosevelt, oldest bar in L.A., um, and uh, that's still operating. And apparently Teddy Roosevelt rode in on horseback at the opening of, the, of that bar. The legend has it. And uh, But by the time we took it over in 2002, it was run by an 18th Street gang, um, a different they, kind of horse. There was a different kind of horse going on there. If you yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All the walls were kicked in. There were feces stains on the and broken glass throughout the bathrooms. I mean, you threw up. You wanted to throw up as soon as you walked in there. And I went to meet with the manager of the bar, and, and he was in that same bathroom where 
I almost, I almost threw up myself. My partner did throw up and, and uh, a urinal already caked in vomit. And there <laughs> crouched in the corner is the manager of the bar smoking a crack pipe. Um, I must have fallen off the calendar somehow because uh, he forgot the meeting, but well, we still met, walked up to the bar itself, or uh, tried to order a drink. But by the time, before we got up there, the bartender said, I don't know if I can say this on your show, but what the fuck do you want? I say, well, you'd like a drink? How about, how about a drink? He goes, well, you fucking pay up front. So handed him the money. He had two bottles behind the bar, gin and gin, you know, two crappy gins, by the way. And uh, bought my drink. He takes the money and puts it on his, there's no cash register. He just drops it in his own wallet right in front of the manager. So the whole place was just a front for um, for drug trade. And uh, we took that place over. How was your gin? Just the gin um, and gin? There's no tonic. There's nothing going on. Ice. There was no tonic. They gave me gin and soda and with some, with, uh, basically melted ice at that point there was no real ice <laughs> here's a good of. thing though said if the guy's on crack you get yeah. the, you have the upper hand in the negotiation right a little bit right you can outmaneuver them a little well it turned out they were a year behind on paying rent so we just had to negotiate with the landlord at that point um and the landlord was scared to throw them out because they had death threats from the gang so so we had to. Well, were you nervous at all? I, I was wondering because oh, I, re- yeah, I read oh, that yeah. story in the book and I wondered, were you concerned at all that they weren't leaving, even if you bought it? Yeah. Yeah. We definitely, it was concerning. Um, and we had death threats for a couple of years when we took over that bar. So we had to get through that too. But as I talk about in the book, that kind of adversity that we had is, is, is what led to the amazing culture and our family now and the amazing people we have. So, and also gave us the feeling that we could fight through anything, including a global pandemic, which we're fighting through now and surviving and feeling more optimistic than ever before about our, our family and, and our bars. By the way, I, I rarely issue death threats, but once I was at the varnish and I felt like the Campari, there was a little too much Campari in my Negroni. And so I did, um, I called in a bomb threat, but I, I just want to let you know that right now. Make sure my drinks. Well, that was you. Yeah, that, that was, was me. I, I, the drink's oh, not man. balanced. The drink's not balanced. I, we, I thought we were friends, man. <laughs> oh, you got one more thing. I know I keep saying I'm going to let you go, but one more thing. So Coles has the, the French dip, right? Yeah. Can we, we settle this? Because there's another place that says they invented it. Who invented the French dip? Exactly. But, uh, you know, it's a friendly rivalry. I, we love Felipe's, too. It's a great place. But they're more of a lunch spot. We're more of a dinner and drinks cocktail spot. So I, you I can't definitively both, say. Both places, but, but the history we have is, I mean, Cole's opened six months earlier than Felipe's. So, I mean, that alone should settle it. Um you know, we were in the original location that we opened in 1908. They moved to a second location, and they they ultimately opened six months later than we did. So, 
you know, I think it's a friendly rivalry. We're both winning from the from the controversy, but we know that we we invented it. We opened six months before they did, so you can yeah, check. You it heard it here. Right. You heard it here from said Moses mouth from the from the mouth of babes, as they say. The French dip definitively invented it. Coles uh, said, "It's great to see you, man, and, and I I I look forward to seeing you in person for sure." whether that's downtown LA or we, we, we actually take that road trip out to the desert. Uh, everybody pick up pouring with heart, the essential magic behind the bartenders. We love said Moses with Eric Cardona and a forward by the great Dale DeGroff. It's available now everywhere, right? Get it on Amazon it anywhere. Yeah. Books yeah, are sold. yeah. The audio version too is available on audible and all, all usual sources as well. I recommend that too. Great. And uh, be sure to check out, go to the bars. If you go to a bar in downtown LA, there's at least a 40% chance Sed owns it. So just walk in any bar and say, you know, Sed, and you'll probably be all set. So, um, <laughs> but man, it's great to see you, brother. And, and I am, again, looking forward to seeing you in person. And thanks for, thanks for coming on the show and uh, spreading yeah. some wisdom. Yeah, anytime. Oh, much love, brother. You and, too, uh, man. Thanks for having me on. Hi, this is Jack Maxwell. I used to have a show called Booze Traveler, but the real Booze Traveler is Dan Dunn, and you're listening to him right now. It's called What We're Drinking. All right. Before I get out of here today, I want to leave you with a joke. Guy walks into a bar after a long day at work, and he orders a drink. As he sits there, mulling over his day, he hears a high-pitched voice say, That shirt looks great on you. Man looks around and doesn't see anything. He gets back to his drink, thinking nothing more of it. A moment later, the voice returns, this time offering, You seem like a great guy. Again, the man looks around, sees nothing, returns to his drink, wondering if he should get checked out by a professional. Finally, when his nerves have cooled and he believes the voice is gone, he hears, I bet your parents are really proud of you. Slams down his drink and looks around wildly. Frustrated and finding no possible source of the voice, he calls over the bartender. He says, Barkeep! What's that voice I keep hearing? Bartender says, oh, those are the peanuts. They're complimentary. And with that, I'm out of here. I uh, want to thank said Moses joining us. Pick up a copy of his book, Pouring with Heart. Also want to thank G Love. Go online. Go see G Love. It's not special sauce, but is it the liquid? G Love and the juice. That's it. The juice. I'm seeing him out here in Hollywood in March. Follow me at the imbiber at WWD underscore podcast. Appreciate you joining me as always and look forward to talking at you next time. Bye. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online master's of social work. 
Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu.